You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clubo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Good afternoon, Cliff. Good afternoon to you, sir. How are you doing? Oh, not too shabby. My throat's a little shot. I've been doing a lot of calls lately. Really? Been out in the woods, huh? Yeah. Nice. You get anything back? or? Yeah, I've gotten a few nights out lately. Uh, got out with John Freitas up there outside of Willow Creek. We were going to go up where uh, we were filming, where we got those callbacks. We were, we were filming back in, geez, I guess four years ago, 2017, for the final episode. And then I was up in Southern Oregon with Rowdy, working on that film project. When I was with Freitas, this uh, Bobcat started answering me. That was it. And then with when I was with Rowdy up in Southern Oregon, the uh, we got some callbacks, but we were all talking. We were having like a good time around the not a fire, but just hanging around camp. And right when I was talking, I was getting animated, kind of excited about it. I was talking loud, and we got this weird call. And I, I didn't hear it that great. Um, they, him, this woman that joined us, uh, their ears, you know, they the look on their face was like, "Well, that was what was that?" And no one could identify it, but it was it was. I heard it enough to go, "That was very odd." Oh, well, that's cool. At least you're getting out in the field a couple of times, right? Yeah. Now, this $4.39 a gallon down where I'm at is not helping any. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, yeah, I understand the gas. Well, the gas prices always go up this time of year. Yeah, but they've been up for us for like months. We've been up over $4 for quite a while. And like when I was out at uh, Willow Creek, it was like four seventy nine. The most money I think I ever paid for gas was up in Orleans on a Bigfoot trip up there, one of the Bluff Creek days, you know. And it was over. It was like five dollars and eight cents or something like that. Yeah, I paid five seventy nine there once. And then when I was driving out, when we were driving back to North Carolina and all that for finding Bigfoot, when I drove out there with Monkey and RPG, I was about to. Run, I was went to this gas station. It was eleven ninety nine a gallon. It was like the most isolated gas station out in the desert. They just robbed you, but it was. The production was paying for it, so I was like, "This is awesome!" And I filled up like all twenty-seven gallons. It was like eleven ninety-nine. Instead of this huge bill, nice. Well, I know you love spending production company money. Oh yeah, who doesn't? And then uh, I imagine. I mean, every time I'm on the road, it's packed. I'm, you know, I'm seeing like all the hotels are booked up. So I, admit, I imagine it's getting pretty good business at the museum. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have been coming through, which is, which is really nice, you know, um, not only because, like, you know, b- being a business owner, it's always good to take a paycheck. But on top of that, it's giving us a little bit extra money to reinvest in the museum. We're doing a major expansion, as major as we can get right now without building a new building, um, opening up some areas, uh, hidden little nooks and crannies and various corners of the structure itself that the museum is in. And uh, and even that amount of area, I think it's like a 25 by 8 foot area, is going to allow us to put at least a dozen or maybe uh, 20 displays in. So revamping everything, getting a lot of new stuff. We have a lot of new technology coming in over the next couple of months that we're going to make into displays. I, I mean, people who listen to this might be excited to hear like i'm actually trying to work on an infrasound emitter so people can uh feel dash hear what infrasound is and does um hopefully it won't make anybody crap their pants oh, dude, the i was back, just gonna you know? say you can get some gr- dude you gotta put a hidden camera on those people the whole time because you might get some good stuff <laughs> well, you know, I'm not going to have them sign a waiver to go in the back or anything. We'll probably tone it down a bit. But uh, yeah, so I've got a great guy working on that technology for me. Um, uh, some interesting new tree breaks of surface we can uh, put out there. I've got some paleoanthropological stuff I want to share with people. There's a lot of cool stuff happening at the museum. But we digress. But we're also talking about science, which is a nice segue here for our guest. Yeah, today's awesome. We got a one of the leading females in the field and kind of a hero to all of us about how brave she is and adventurous and just goes for it. I got to bring up one of my favorite stories around Bigfootings she's involved with. But today we got the incomparable Shelly Covington, Montana out of Texas. Shelly, welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond with this guy and me. Oh, well, thank you both so much. I've, I'm very humbled to be here and very excited. Very good. Well, thank you for setting aside a little time to come on and talk to us, and and all of our people who listen. There's four or five of them out there um, that you know that listen every single week, and we appreciate them. But uh, certainly, we appreciate you making some time today. Absolutely. So, Shelley, I, I don't know uh, how many of our listeners know much about you. How would you introduce yourself? You know, I'm just an average woman that lives in Texas, and uh, 
trying to do, you know, a little bit of science and, you know, searching out for the great North American Sasquatch and any proof of it. And it's, it's a passion and a love. And, and I really hope that my integrity and my work, you know, speaks for me. So an average woman in Texas, how how many firearms does that mean you own? (laughs) I would say myself, uh, I probably own 15 or so. Is that average? Yeah, that's average for Texas. I know she's one of them's a 357. I know that because that was involved in one of my favorite stories. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a few 357s, a couple 45s, a 4570. Um, I've, um, you know, 380s. No, 4570. That's If you want to shoot a big Sasquatch, you'd bring a 4570. That's a grizzly gun. Yes, that's I, I carry that just, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's a bush gun. It's it's small enough. Um, I love lever action rifles. Those are my my heart and joy. And, uh, you know, they're good for, you know, big hole in gut, guts out, really. But, but, you know, I mean, it's going to protect you. So and it's not hard to carry. So. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, again, people who listen, they know I'm not a gun guy, but I have a couple of firearms. I'm not against guns in any manner or anything like that. But I do love going to Texas because at the Texas conference where we were, we both spoke this past year, uh, and I said it out loud again, Texas is the only state that I go to when I do a presentation and I mention firearms applause breaks out. <laughs> you know, and I'm not kidding. It's happened two or three years in a row. Love the state. Love Texans. Love all that stuff. I was only halfway joking about the, the gun thing because I, I know you're badass. You have firearms because, you know, you travel alone in really remote areas. And it seems to me that's one of your main focuses the last couple of years. You, you have a fantastic husband. I love that guy. I, I can see why you love him so much. Um, and he just kind of lets you loose basically for however many months you want to be out in the woods alone, traveling the country in the Pacific Northwest in very remote areas. Um, so, yeah, if you see this chick out in the road, man, don't approach. She is well armed. Uh, you can approach her. She's friendly. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, um, it's just protection. It's, it's nothing, nothing more than what my family would expect of me to, you know, be safe and, and smart about the way I I handle myself and, and being alone has its benefits. It, it makes me, um, very aware of my surroundings and very focused on what I need to be doing. And, uh, you know, because when we get around our friends and others, it's great. I love it. But when I'm alone, it really makes me think about why I'm there and uh, how much I'm taking away from, you know, my family here in Texas and, and to get down to business. And it works for me. And it's, it's, it's a sense of, I don't know. You know, I'm a mom. I'm I'm not a young woman. I'm, my children are, our children are grown and gone. Don and I have been together for somewhere around forty years. And uh, what you marry when you were twelve or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very Jerry Springer, right? <laughs> this went across the border to Louisiana. It was legal. <laughs> well, I've actually known him since I was thirteen, and uh, but we were we didn't date until I was in my uh, early twenties. And uh, but he's always been a, a, a an influential uh, individual in my life, and and a great outdoorsman, and just a wonderful man, wonderful father. My husband put it really well to our kids because they were kind of freaked out when I picked up and left for four months, and. Their dad said, well, your mom's just picking up where she left off when she had you. You know, I I stayed home and did all the motherly wife things, which I loved and enjoyed so much. And uh, now it's, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm still that lady that, you know, could do things on my own. And even though Dawn is my forever partner, um, it, it really creates an enjoyment of, Missing him, I know that sounds kind of weird, but you know i I enjoy that, and I enjoy the idea of freedom to explore and that his trust in me as being able able and capable of taking care of myself so you can take care of others too because when right before we met you in twenty seventeen at the uh Tom Powell cliff and I went out, and Shelley and a few others went out to uh Mount Hood to watch the eclipse in twenty seventeen and Shelly had just had a quite an encounter. 
that I was like, oh my God, I, I just loved her even more. Tell, tell us that story about the, uh, the thieves. Well, yeah, so um, a few of us were, and, and Cliff, you had come in at one point, I think you'd stayed just one night, and um, but I think we were in Skooka Meadows, we were at a, a primitive area, um, there was a burn ban, uh, we were with a few folks who were out there for just a, a long, extended you know, friendly expedition, I guess. And I don't know, I, if, the way I recall it was, it was really late. I want to say one, two o'clock in the morning, maybe three, we were up, but there's no fire, no light. And everybody's kind of visiting and I hear off in the distance a vehicle coming down the road and, you know, we're, you know, squatchers, we listen, I guess. And, and I hear the vehicle shut off on the road and the doors close, like two doors close. And I can tell they're trying to be really, really, really quiet. And I'm thinking, uh, 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 they're trying to come in here and steal. They think we're, we're asleep. And I don't know why I, I just jumped up and headed down the road. I know that's I know why I know exactly why. Yeah, if you don't know, let us inform you because you're a <laughs> badass. <laughs> I don't know how much of that I am, but I just knew someone was approaching my camp that was not invited, and it was I could just feel I don't know it was just one of those things, and and uh, I hear them speaking, and it's two young males, and I hear them speaking softly, and. All I remember is just throwing my headlamp on and and pulling my firearm, my forty five, and I look around and uh, Monica Rawlings' husband's right there with me. I didn't even know he was with me. I was so determined to f- to stop whatever was approaching my camp, and I said, "Can I help you?" And it was two tweaker kids. It's pretty much what it was, and uh, you know they're sweating and they got empty backpacks on and they're like freaked out. I'm like, can I help you? Uh, uh, we're here. We're here to find our, we're here to look at our, look for our game cams. I said at three o'clock in the morning with no headlamps, you're here to look for a game. Cam. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I said, get your tails in the woods right now. Get that game cam and get out of here. And don't you ever, ever approach a dark campsite again. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I heard I heard Putinbot when when Chris tells the story, it's much more impressive because he, he's like he's like I was just following her like he was kind of ner- like scared. He's like she was just like you guys get over you know, like she just took command. He goes, it was he said it was the the way he tells the story is just awesome. Like you're a little you're a little more humble. He he tells it like with a lot of panache and stuff, and yeah, it's classic. Well, yeah, it sounds like a dangerous situation. You better let Shelly go first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm the daughter of a law enforcement officer for the state of Texas, and most cliff. Well, I'm not the daughter. To be fair, I'm not the daughter. <laughs> but you know, my father, it's just, he just raised girls, so you know, and we were just expected to be careful and uh, assertive. You know, I mean, nobody wants to approach a crazy person. You know, and. I, and, and honestly, I feel like that's the best defense is, hey, I'm unpredictable and you don't belong here and you need to step off and, and don't do that again. I'm, sh- I'm sure those boys don't approach camps in the middle of the night anymore, you know. So, but I mean, and it's happened more than once. I actually have uh, not had someone approach me, but someone come and drop their tent in my campsite while I was gone. And when I came back, I'm thinking, who are these guys? Are they hunters? Are they trying to move me out of my camp? How dare them? And then two days later, they show up and I did the same thing. I didn't pull my gun. I just went over and was like, excuse me. And I have to be somebody I knew. So, but they didn't know it was me. And, you know, they didn't know I was camping there. So, yeah, it's just weird. Did you have a tent up? I had three tents up. I was with other females, and this was at Bumping Lake. And uh, it was a few years back. Yeah, it's very interesting. I basically said, how dare you? There's there's camping etiquette. When people like are just like try to like force, like that kind of thing just sets me off. 
and, and that's, you know, that's how I felt. It was the first week of hunting season. It was like in September, I believe. And they came in, dropped their gear in my campsite and left for three days. And, uh, I just kept thinking, I'm going to burn that tent down. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which of course I did not, but I did approach and I, you know, of course I put my firearm behind me because I knew it was, it was males and, uh, and it was, and I just happened to know them, but they did not realize that was my camp. Um, I don't know what they thought, but uh, it was it was fine. But yeah, it's just weird, you know. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So Shelly, once your kids were grown, you were already interested in Bigfoot. When did you really get it? Like, we met you with Wool Heater, like, gosh, probably almost 10 years ago. We were filming the show down in Texas. And then we've run into you, like, in different multiple states, Northwest, um, Midwest. How long have you been doing that? Oh, well, you know, I guess when the kids really started, I mean, I think Dylan was still home. And they've been gone 10 years now. Um, But I think I got on the Internet for about two years because – I was home, you know, the kids were doing their thing in and out. Uh, and I was just delving as deep as I could into anything I could find out on the internet. Cause I was really scared to meet any of these people and, and ask any kind of questions. Cause I wasn't sure how sane or crazy anybody was. Well, you know, I mean, it was just, I, and, and I wouldn't even go into the Facebook groups because I knew other people would see what groups I was part of. And so I was just trying to do my own research through, you know, YouTube and scientific papers and, and, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm finding, finding Bigfoot and, um, I was seeing a lot of hoaxing stuff and I couldn't understand that. I was like, why are all these people believing this stuff? You know, because, I mean, it, honestly, it was a little bit of common sense. You know, I, I was just like the Rick Dyers and stuff. That just didn't make sense to me. And uh, it just got me on this path of if I were out there searching, you know, like really searching, what would I need? What would I want? You know, how would I come back with any kind of scientific evidence or proof, you know, something that people could find is viable. And um, that led me into, you know, things like DNA and uh, uh, wildlife DNA kits. And and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just create a DNA kit for myself. And, 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 and then I started slowly going back into areas where I was finding reports. And I met Craig Woolheater and, and, uh, I loved the East Texas reports. And so I'd make Dawn and go with me. We'd drive out there and, 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 and it just kind of blossomed. And, and the wildlife DNA kit really kind of started me on this really cool path of, of my Bigfoot tool belt. You know, I think we're lacking in tools in general. And I think people really um, are either emotionally driven and, or they're factually driven. And and I really wanted, uh, if I was going to delve into this, I really wanted it to be factually driven. I mean, you can believe anything you want, but I just was fascinated. The collection of evidence, I think, is one of the things that sets this field apart from um, other, you know, the, uh, like the ghost stuff and and and, and the UFO stuff. And, and mind you, I think ghosts and UFOs are real things, but um, there's such a lack of physical evidence. There's a lot of stories or some weird pictures and stuff like that and a couple of recordings, but um, the, the physical part of it. You know, the, the hair samples, the footprints and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of a general lack of that sort of thing. Obviously, UFOs don't leave footprints. So, you know, but um, and that's one of the things that drew me to this field early on is because this is wildlife study. This is you can actually do something about this, you know, doing UFO stuff. I guess you go outside and look up a lot, but like you can actually go to the woods and, you know, figure out where animals are going to be and you can bring back evidence and share it. And that's one of the reasons I've admired you for so long uh, in this particular field, because that's your main focus is evidence, 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 get off your laurels, stop telling the stories, bring us some evidence, put up or shut up kind of stuff, right? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it just, so I just, I love where, you know, the idea of the great North American Sasquatch to me is the biggest discovery ever outside of UFOs. It's amazing and I want to be a part of it and I want to do everything I can to preserve the integrity of this species and this field. And so for me, evidence and like you said, Cliff, you know, stories are great and everybody's got a story, but it doesn't prove or disprove anything. For me, it's about the evidence and, and the science behind it and the wildlife behavior. So, you know, in the last few years, I've I've really pushed myself to do things like I became a certified wildlife tracker and and it's recognized by North America and actually it's recognized all over the world, but I'm certified in Texas. But what it really does for me is to help me discount other possibilities and really learn about wildlife behavior in general and the morphology of wildlife and it's fascinating and I love it so much and it just gives me this it gives me another tool to to know if I'm on the right track and then that led me down the road of nature journaling because our early discoverers who came to this you know to North America journaled everything you know and the wildlife and the flora and the fauna and and it, it what it really does these kind of tools really push you to ask better questions. And if we ask better questions, maybe we'll get better answers. And that just fuels my fire. And and I'm just, I love it so much. There's so much to learn. And I think, and I know anybody and everybody could do this because 90%, I believe, of the quote-unquote Bigfoot community, people who are really interested and in who go out and, and do quote-unquote research, are just average people like me. And these kind of tools like, you know, tracking and actually getting certified because you're up to a standard where conservation will listen to what you have to say and uh, journaling, those are things anybody can do. Anybody can do. And it gives you joy. It also creates metadata. It creates a file for you to where you can really look at what you've been looking at and maybe even find some patterns and signs. Have you found patterns? Yes, but not the ones people want to hear. I'll put it that way. You know, I mean, I've found more, you know, it's like this. You know, if I find a track of something someone suspects is is maybe Sasquatch, I can look at it and probably figure out if it's bear or something, you know, known. I can't tell you if it's Bigfoot, but I have the resource of Cl Cliff Brackman or you or Dr. Meldrum who have seen many things that are not Bigfoot, right? And or or hoaxes. And so I find a lot of things are not, you know, what people want them to be. And and that's difficult to um, engage with people and let them down because they really don't want to hear that. Yeah, how do you deal with that pushback, by the way? Because I find that most people, uh, not most, a lot of people come to me, hey, I, I want your opinion. And it turns out they didn't. They just wanted me to agree with what they already thought. They didn't want my opinion at all. How do you deal with that? Because you don't want to hurt people. I try to be nice. Like, what do you do? You're so much nicer than I am. I, I want to know. I ask people, and it's hard. I mean, I don't deal with it very well because I always, like you said, it's it's like you're trying to be really nice. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll ask them, so how have you discounted all other possibilities? You know, give me that, and then we can go from there. You know, um, and a lot of times, you know, Cliff, we're talking to that person who's showing us a two-dimensional or one-dimensional picture uh, or or they're giving us their story or, you know, and, and then I try to give them tools. And um, I've got a lady that really impresses me because I had her come up to me and everybody at the conference that was speaking one year and, and she was trying to convince them of certain things that were happening. And I said, you know, 
I'm just going to say, do better. Uh, you know, I, I, you're a smart lady. And what I would do is, is this, this, and this, but I want you to get a tracking stick. Tracking stick is such an easy tool. I mean, everybody finds one track. They never find two or very, you know, not very often. So I'm like, take that stick and I'll send them, you know, videos and such of what a tracking stick is where you can lay, you know, a walking stick like we have when we're hiking at the front of this so-called track and, and lay it on the ground and swipe it 180 degrees. Get yourself way down on the ground to where you can see the next disturbance. The next disturbance, if it is not bear or human, if it's within, you know, if it's like a six-foot disturbance between one and the other, then we might have something. You know, get out there, video. Why are you taking one picture? You should be taking a picture at 720 degrees, or video, at 720 degrees of this track, where you're going all the way around, across, across. You're laying down. You know, you need to... Think of yourself as the entity that made this track. Where would the next track be? Look for it in six feet or or whatever. I just try to give people more ideas, and I'm like, let me know how it works out. And and that seems to work. And you know, and and it's funny because more women for me are way more receptive of what I'm telling them. And and men, I've had, I've had some pretty um, crazy stuff happen with the men. Well, men are so ego driven in so many ways, you know. I mean, we really are, and you can see by the way we carry ourselves and the way we talk. And it's a lot of it's about ego, I think. And um, you know, and women are just, I think, have less of that, you know. And, and I, don't, I could be wrong. I don't want to generalize. I don't want to insult any women who have really strong egos. But at the same time, I just think that perhaps that men are have actually. Men have much more fragile egos, I think, than perhaps women do because um, they don't need to prove much. But you know this. What am I telling you this for? <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, the thing is what I, I'm trying and, – and, you know, I'm very uh, opinionated and, and I try to be really nice. But, you know, when I feel kind of uh, not attacked, but, you know, when that ego thing comes out, I mean, my tongue is sharp and, and quick – and but what I've figured out is when people come at me that treat me in a certain way like that, you know, with the ego driven stuff, it's that they need to be needed. They need me to affirm that they're they're on the right track or correct or or that they're they have you know they're smart or whatever. And 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 that's fine, you know. I mean, I'm a grown woman. I've, I'm trying to get a really thick skin. You know, I'm not intimidated by anybody's quote unquote research. I am intimidated by what they think of me. And that's really unfortunate. I'm trying to get over that, you know, and, and I think Cliff and I've had those conversations. Uh, but I am on, you know, I'm constantly pushing myself. I'm really excited about some stuff that I'm doing. And, uh, I've invested with my good buddy, uh, Michael Waldy and I have kind of teamed up together and invested in eight thermal cameras. And uh, we, okay, so Michael Waldy has uh, outfitted his truck with two um, FLIR Pro views on top of his truck. And I've invested in, I, I love, love, love the Pulsar. Uh, Trail 2 uh, XP50s. Um, they're fantastic. And I've purchased two of those. Um, and, and it's for hog hunting as well because that's that's what they were made for. And But I actually got the Trail 2 XP50, which is a 640, and I've rigged up some really cool ways um, to... Actually, what Michael and I are doing, it's, it's really kind of phenomenal. Um, we can take his truck, and if we see a heat, an interesting heat signature, say, at 1,000 yards, I pull out the XP50s, can zoom in, and these things will give you 
distance and everything. And then we've also purchased the uh, Mavic 2 uh, Enterprise drone, FLIR drone, I mean thermal drone. And so what we're doing is we're able to drive down the road Let's say if we see any heat signatures, I can zoom in with mine, and then we can launch the drone in less than a minute and a half and approach. So my thought process and Michael's is if I could get the same entity on three different thermal cameras at three different angles, that would be amazing. I don't know that it's proof, but we've invested... I think thirty thousand dollars in in thermals at this point. Not to you know throw that around, but because I didn't have to travel. Michael, he's a single older man, works. Don has allotted me the funds to, you know, us kind of team up and really get aggressive with the thermal imaging because it's just. I think it's just amazing. I got to. I went out to. Um, Washington last month for a few days and got to hang out at the Browns location at Grace Harbor. And I love that thermal uh, video. And uh, so it's just, Michael and I have been working on this for six months. He's right now in Falk at the Falk Festival because he is also purchased a duck boat where we can go up in the creeks and mount the thermals. And so we have six screens or four screens in the truck where we can uh, actually watch it on screen. He can control while I therm, vice versa. Uh, I'm fixing to get my drone license. I'm studying for that as well as him. We've also... um, I've been working on creating a 360 thermal camera. I've found some amazing science through some experiments I've been doing with feral cats. And uh, I can't really release what I'm, I've, uh, my discovery, but I've looked everywhere I can. And nobody's using this technology because I want my thermals to you know, justify the cost. I mean, I want to know why do I have eight palettes of color? What, what benefit can this do for me in the research? So I'm really excited. Michael's really excited, but I'll tell y'all what I'm doing. I'll send y'all a video on what I have discovered. My children are freaking out right now because they think uh, I need to patent what I have found. And, uh, but yeah, I want to do a 360 camera. So They should be freaking out because they have the coolest mom ever. (laughs) Well, they're very supportive in that. They're just like, mom, you you let us know how we can help. So, um, yeah. So, I'm really excited about what is coming up and uh, hopefully, and to me, you know, this is all going back to how can I help in the discovery of the great North American Sasquatch. I may not be the one to discover it, but if I can, you know, put out a tool like, you know, the the Sasquatch Albavernix DNA kit or something to help you with your thermal vision where you can see 360 degrees around your campsite, because most people, if they can even afford one thermal camera, be able to put it out all night and watch anything that comes into camp. You know, if I can be that person to help that way, I feel like I've done, I've done a good job. Yeah, I'd say. I would definitely agree with that. It reminds me of um, I'm, a couple of years ago, I saw Dr. Meldrum speak somewhere and he was kind of almost scolding the crowd, which I'd love to see Jeff do. Um, kind of saying like, you know, if, if, if here's an opportunity to participate in one of the greatest discoveries of the century, if not, you know, of all time. Um, and all, and you guys are bringing stories back. And on top of that, a lot of you are talking about, you know, portals or, you, you know, interdimensional, whatever stuff. Um, you're missing the boat here. If you want to participate, then just be, just do simple stuff. And which brings me back to a point, yeah, collect data, collect information and bring it back and look at it, you know, which brings me back to something you said a little while ago about um, nature journaling. Um, and I, I want to really hit that point home. People ask me, what's the most important piece of equipment you can bring to the field? And they expect me to say some sort of you know $5,000 thermal imager. And I say, it's a spiral notebook. 
you know, a, a journal, just writing things down that you see and observe. That's what sets Tom Shea apart from everybody else. That's what sets people like you apart from everybody else. You're collecting the information and bringing it back, whether stuff happens or not. And that information adds up after a while. Absolutely. I mean, that was what, you know, so I hear a lot about uh, tree structures, right? Yeah, me too. I can't, I don't know why though. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know. I'll mansplain it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know that we have any, you know, true scientific evidence that Sasquatch creates these tree structures. I mean, maybe. I don't know that there's ever been any documented sighting of anybody seeing one build a tree structure. Um, So I decided either way, I want to document through nature journaling tree structures and what, what they remind me of, what they look like, where are they located, all the metadata, and plus to do a, you know, an elementary drawing. And then it starts to make you ask questions like, well, when was the last flood in this area? How strong are the lolly pines? How strong are the fir? How long does it take for this type of wood to degrade? So was this tree actually, you know, this log in this tree structure, was it taken from this area or is it not from this area? I mean, it starts to make you go down that rabbit hole of asking better questions once again. And then you're drawing, you're asking the questions. Then I'm going to have a whole book of these amazing tree structures no matter how they're built, if they're built by Sasquatch or, you know, natural occurrences or humans, it may, it may be a discovery of new and different things, not just Sasquatch. That to me is important. It is so important what you're doing, I think. Just asking questions and proceeding forward. Uh, and, and not the kind of question of, am I right? Well, you are asking, am I right? But like, uh, you're not verifying you're right. You're just asking questions and getting into it. And it's, and it's just one of the reasons I think that you're really a model for a lot of researchers in the community. Well, thank you. I, You know, it's funny. People refer to me as a researcher, and I don't know that I deserve that title. I, 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 I feel like I'm a citizen scientist. I'm an average woman trying to do exceptional things. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. I think we could all ask, like, how can we contribute? I think learning starts with a place of accepting your own ignorance in a way. And, you, you know, I'm not a geneticist. You're not either. We don't know these things. Uh, but we we did our best to collect the evidence out of that face print in Texas this past October. Um, and I can't, I still have the samples. I can't do anything with them because I'm not qualified. And it, it's, you have to accept where you are and what you can do and what you can do to move forward and be able to participate in any way. And I, I think that's a really important point that you're making here. Oh, yeah. I'm, it, it just, it's, exciting and it's just like you know with the nature journaling or collecting any kind of evidence that you think might be helpful later on you know I think in 10 years if I have this full book of tree structures there might be something there and if the great North American Sasquatch is proven then I have this book to hand over to somebody to say here you go this is what I found out you know, and, and I think it, it just gives our work value and it's important. It's important. I think people, I ask people, are you doing this for your experience or are you doing this for the species? Um, when you say that this is important, I'm curious what your opinion is. Um, if Sasquatches were proven to be real animals today to everybody's satisfaction, what do you think would change? I, you know, I think I'm, I'm sure 100% they would be protected. How they would be protected, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think, I don't know what would change. I mean, I mean, I'm sure the forestry service would have a whole lot of litigation to deal with, and that's okay. You know, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I've never known of a species 
that was discovered that they didn't try to protect it if it was endangered. And, and I don't know, I would assume that uh, they would be immediately protected and considered endangered. But I honestly, I'm not qualified to answer that. Once again, I don't know. I just know it's important. It's, it's part of, it's part of this great country. You know, this continent has the great North American Sasquatch. And, you know, we were put on this earth to be the keepers of, of everything around us. That's what our, that's why we're here, in my opinion, is, you know, we are the shepherds. And we should do everything in our power to make change and to protect it at all costs. And, you know, man thinks they're the smartest thing on the earth. Well, figure it out. So, Shelly, um, one of your fortes is, of course, collecting evidence of, of all sorts. Um, I'm going to just shoot a kind of evidence at you, and you give us your thoughts on it, maybe the best way to collect it and best way to and find it or whatever you want to say about it, okay? Um, so, let's just start with hair. You've already mentioned one technique of getting hair out of bird's nests. What else do you have to say about hair? Well, hair, I think, is really um, hard to find, Um but if you do find something that's suspect, I would hope you would have a couple other pieces of it, like a footprint and a how, I don't know, a face print, you know. But um, hair, if I were collecting hair, the first thing I would do is, of course, use my DNA kit and, you know, sterile gloves and all that. And I think we overdo it, but that's okay right? And face mask and all that, because that's what society wants. And uh, I would put it in gauze. Then I would put it in acid-free envelope, which is sealed. And then all the metadata placed on it. Um, you want to actually, you want to uh, store it in a cool, dry area. But one thing I think we're, we should be looking at when it comes to hair is the majority of wildlife has hollow hair. So the hair will actually break and pop very easily. It's brittle, you know, the from deer to bear, all those things. What I would be looking for is maybe a little bounce in the hair like human hair. Yeah, apes don't have fur; they have hair, and it should look a lot like a real fine human hair, from what I understand, at least. I, would you agree with that, or no? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's do this. How about uh, blood? Blood. Okay. So, in my kits, I provide you with sterile swabs. Now, everything I use is is from a medical company. You know. Um, and it's all up to human standards. That way, it's it's sterile, and uh, it's it's there's you know there's nothing better you can do. But actually, with sterile swabs, I would get as many samples as you could, and you replace them. You place them back into the container they came out of. Uh, I have a couple of of. Uh, bacterial swab collecting tubes with the swab and the tube and also just package swabs but as long as they're up to human standards and sterile you can put them back in as many as you can and once again you can it would even be good to dry out the swab because moisture creates mold and we do not want that so we want dry samples when it comes to blood and then put in cool dry location back into which I provide you with a acid-free envelope seal it all metadata on uh, in the envelope as well okay what about uh, and when you say made metadata you know what what specifically are you looking for um, what what is useful as far as writing on the envelope for our listeners well I, I always tell people more is better but um, where it was collected, who collected it, the chain of custody. You know, the less people that touch it, the better. I tell people when you're collecting any kind of DNA evidence, it should be you and an assistant, and you should double glove 
in case you touch something you shouldn't, you can take out that outer glove or you are actually, if you're going from say blood to hair, you want to take out those outer gloves. But um, also I would put a video with it when you are collecting any kind of DNA. So there are no questions out there that can't be answered, you've got a videographer that's actually standing back and videoing the entire process from beginning to end. Um, I'm sorry, um, metadata, uh, video, time and date, location, people involved. Um, I got to look back at my notes, but um, if you can get the video and who was there and where it was and what else other, you know, um, evidence that you have to add to it. More is better. Now, you mentioned um, an assistant, and I'd like to point out that I had the distinct pleasure of assisting you get some um, information and, and face smudge smear goo off of a, of, a, of a glass plate when we were at um, the Texas conference this past year. And I want to sing your praise from it. I hope you don't mind. Um, uh, because th- we, we saw this as an opportunity to get a, a – uh, okay, basically, long story um, – the, a, a possible Sasquatch pushed his face against a glass screen door. We we saw this as an opportunity to lift the print, much like a, a fingerprints. Now, of course, fingerprints you you put a little uh, graphite powder on it, really fine graphite powder, and then you basically put tape over it and you lift the the the, the graphite powder that's stuck onto the oils that's left on the glass or whatever the, the thing touched. In this case, we had a face print, and we didn't have graphite powder. We didn't have we didn't have what we needed. We just knew we had to get it done. And through your genius, you rated your makeup kit. We didn't have the, the right kind of brush. We didn't have the right kind of powder. But you went into your makeup kit. And I don't know what kind of makeup you used or even what kind of brushes or anything. But I'll be darned. But you did it. You lifted this print. And it's, to my knowledge, the only purported Sasquatch face print that's been retrieved. And it was just such a neat thing to watch you in action getting this done. So I, I just thought that was so cool and so so MacGyver of you to like be able to improvise on the spur. It's like, oh, we don't have graphite? No problem. Leave it to me. I got this makeup kit. We're going to get it done. And you did it. Where can we see that? I've got the actual face print. It's going up in, in the expansion of the North American Bigfoot Center. Yeah. So the the thing that I had was I, well, I'm from a cosmetic field. So I had actually pigments that were created up to human standards they're they're created to stick to to facial oils and i had this huge bag of black uh carbide pigment that is used to make actual eyeshadows because i have i've got the the ability and the kits to make my own cosmetics so um and I went and got a, you know, a sterile brush. I know all about how brushes work and, and, you know, from squirrel hair to camel hair and synthetics. And so, yeah, we, we, I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to use some cosmetic pigment because it's, it's super fine and it's meant to stick to sebum. And so, yeah, it worked out really well. Yeah, you did it. It was very, very impressive. Thank you. I think we were both equally impressive because we just kind of jumped in and knew exactly what we needed to do. I mean, it flowed really well. I I was really happy and I couldn't have done it without you. I think it was just, it was really awesome. We're a formidable team. We were. We were good. (laughs) (laughs) And Mike Waldy has that video, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And and then, you know, we get with Doug Hijack. We create a term for this stuff, you know, the Sasquatch Alba Vernix. I've now created the kits off of what we did. Uh, everything from for- forensic rulers that will stick to the windows and all the, the sheets for face prints and hand prints. And I will tell you, I've been experimenting because... I'm trying to create an educational video for anybody that buys the kit or or just wants to learn how to pull face prints, hand prints, and DNA and hair and all that. What I wanted to tell you since through my experiments with the kits, 
I've been, you know, remember we, we all put face prints on the glass to, you know, for us to practice and poor Don, I mashed his face in the glass and, and I've used him and a, a couple of people. And what I'm finding is your face print is actually a lot smaller than your actual face. Oh, really? Yes. Very interesting, because that's one of my complaints about the print we lifted, is that it seemed a little small for a Sasquatch. Yes. Yes. And I think that's because we're three-dimensional, and we're creating a one-dimensional print. So we're, you know, it's almost like, you know, how when you're in the field taking a picture, it's so much closer when you're taking, when you're actually there. When you take the picture, it's what, double back? I mean, we're taking all the dimension out of it, I guess. I I really don't know how to explain it, but what I was looking at, I was like, wow, your face looks so small after I get this print. And But yeah, we're actually losing some size when we're doing our print. Very interesting. That's encouraging because I, you know, I'm trying to prove it's not a Bigfoot face print, and the only thing I have so far is that, well, it's you know, it, it's kind of small for what I would expect. But I try not to let my own expectations um, strangle the Sasquatch in a way. You know, have you guys had a chemical analysis done of it? I mean, has that happened yet? No, Doug's supposed to get back to us on that. Uh, I've set aside samples for Doug Heichek. Um He just he asked me to hold on to him for now. Uh, Doctor Meldrum has some um, uh, some samples waiting for him when he's ready for it, and I have a couple others for um, you know reproduction, basically. You know, in case we get good results, we want to reproduce the same results. Yeah, for people that we got a lot of new listeners. For the new listeners, Doug Heichek was on a previous episode, probably around seventy or something like that. Go back and listen to that, and it's really it's very interesting what. He lays the groundwork for what they're talking about here. And it was like serendipity because that that episode, I had just listened to it, and it was what? I don't know, less than a month, and then we were in East Texas pulling a face print. And, and the thing is, no matter what the results are, Cliff, we have another tool. We have another tool, and it's encouraging. You know, what I love – about Doug was that he talks about the compounds in, you know, non-human primates versus humans and that there's a difference. And maybe that's what we will see. Maybe not, but guess what? It's way easier to find a face print, handprint than it is to find a piece of hair. Yes, it is. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sasquatch hair in particular, of course. Yeah. Um, I've heard so many opportunities that have just been, I've heard of so many opportunities that have just been passed by like, Oh, it touched my car. There's a handprint on it. There's a face here. The bridges, the handprint in Florida that was on finding Bigfoot, another opportunity lost. Just so many things just pass through our fingers, like water through a sieve. I feel so dumb. I feel so dumb. And now, but now, you know, and I told Doug that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so, we feel so dumb. You know, we've been walking past these things going, yeah, yeah, cool, lift it. We didn't think about the DNA prior to it, you know, and I, I tell everybody, you know, do all your DNA work first, then lift your prints. And I just, you know, we were always just running to the print. Let's just lift the print. And, and the DNA is going to tell, you know, what really I love that, that Doug talks about is there's like somewhere around 5 billion DNA markers now. Oh, that many? I think so. And if, you know, whereas five years ago there was like... 500 million or something and a million to a billion is like you can become a millionaire in nine months if you give somebody five thousand dollars a day it takes 565 years to become a billionaire giving them that same amount of money so there's so much you know we're just jumping leaps and bounds in this genome stuff and to to you know maybe have something of sasquatch evidence through a little bit of sweat and you know oil on a piece of glass wow that's amazing it'd be nice to kind of do a do something simple like that and like oh yeah 
that's what we were waiting all this time for. We we could have got that decades ago if we were on the game and the technology had uh, uh, you know advanced to that level. I guess right. It's just oh, it's just so exciting. I love it. I think it's just I think we are here in the right time, and uh, you know I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of many before me, and I want them to to be proud of what we're doing. You know, as a collective group of people surrounding ourselves with individuals who are mentally disciplined and truly care about the the species of the great North American Sasquatch. And, and I'm just here for it. That's perfectly said. Absolutely. It reminds me of a, of a quote from Lord of the Rings. I go to my fathers in whose mighty company I shall not now feel ashamed. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, my dying legacy, I mean, come on, I want it to be something related to she's a great mom, wonderful wife, and a damn good Sasquatch researcher, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Mission accomplished. You can die happy. Well, you know, science in general, and Michael said this to me one day, and I love this quote. He said, you know, because I was asking him something, I was doing an interview, and I was like, ah, I got to answer this question. And he goes, well, you know, science thinks, you know, in general, that Sasquatch is basically a ludicrous idea. So they're never going to come to us and we got to go to them and we got to go to them with something viable. And I was like, yes, that's exactly correct. So that's how I work. You know, what can I bring to the table that's viable? I do a lot of stuff. I go out a lot, but I don't post a lot about that because I don't really have anything viable at this point. You know, I, I, I'm just, simple Shelly running around trying to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, I want to bring something viable to the table. And which, which makes you a leader in the field. Well, thank you. Now you might, you might not bring it in yourself, but you are helping the people that could do it. Yep. You can tell people all day long what what they should do, but it's it's but that's not the way people learn. You know, you got to look. People look to other people and see how they behave and act, and then hopefully, if they admire you, which I think a lot of people do admire you, Shelley, um, they fall in line and follow your example. Lead by example, not with words. And I think you're doing a fantastic job of that. Well, thank you. That means so much coming from you guys. I mean, you know, I love. <laughs> I love. I, I don't watch TV. Really, I I just don't. I want, but I do watch alone because I love that show so much. And uh, I watch Finding Bigfoot, and I love Finding Bigfoot because Finding Bigfoot to me was what really informed people about Bigfoot being other than a mythical, magical monster. It was actually a viable creature, and it's bringing awareness and. And I think it's awesome. And it's just, I, I love that show. I'm sorry. I just do. And I'm just going to put it out there. And for you guys to think I'm doing a good job, it means a lot. And I really, really appreciate it. I'm guessing that maybe one of the reasons you like the show, besides what you said, is that you can tell we're having a good time. And I want to make it uh, very clear to everybody listening. It's very obvious that you love what you do here. You love this whole Bigfoot thing. And um, I think that's really coming through um, within our conversation here. And I, I think that's the root of your success because you're, you're doing something that you love. And how can you go wrong if you're doing that, right? Oh, yeah. I love it so much because it... You know, discovery is is true. Discovery, oh, it's just, I don't know how to put it. What if I discovered a new behavior with black bear? That, to me, is so important. It helps with conservation. You know, my dream is to one day be able to work for the state of Texas in conservation. I'm not super educated, but I'm super motivated and I'm super focused and driven. And But Sasquatch, I love discovery. I love the idea of being a part of the conservation effort of discovery and protection. And I think it's important. I don't care what anybody says about proving Bigfoot is not a good thing. I think it's it's the only thing. It's important. 
it's so important. Well, Shelly, I mean, we're coming to the end of our time here, but you've given us a ton of stuff to think about, um, uh, goals to aspire to, and great tales from the field. So thank you so much for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond with us and sharing your knowledge. And, and I don't think this is the end of our conversation. I think we're going to have to have you back at some point. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. And um, I just love it. Anytime, anywhere, y'all want to talk about Bigfoot, I'm here. All right. Thanks so much for showing up, Shelly. Yeah, I'm sure that we're going to get a lot of good feedback on this. this is a great interview. And uh, good luck on your endeavors. And I know you're going to be successful and eventually get something good. Well, thanks. I hope so. Fingers crossed. All right, folks. Well, that's another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We want to thank Shelly Covington, Montana, for coming on board. And until next week, keep it squ- Oh, one thing. Cliff and I are going to be at the Great Florida Bigfoot Conference July 10th in Lakeland, Florida. There's still tickets. Come down and say hi. So until then, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 